Welcome to Unlawyerly, where we talk about life, the pursuit of happiness, and some law. This is Ramin. It's time to get unlawyerly. To talk about disruption. We're here to talk about doing things differently. And what often happens when you do things out of the norm, do things that are not traditionally done, you start to get head turns. You start to get a sense of maybe discomfort from others. You get a sense that maybe what you're doing, you shouldn't be. But what we're here today to do is to talk about this challenge, this challenge to redefine success. Now, I have to tell you guys at the very forefront, let me close this door, that I have, as I do this, oh, come on in. We got one more person. That's great. Maybe one more. Come on in. The door's about to close. We're about to launch. So I'm about, what I'm here to tell you at the very forefront is I have a podcast. I like my podcast a lot. I'm going to be recording. So if anybody here, and it's audio, not visual, if anybody here for whatever reason does not want to be part of this very great podcast, by the way, you're more than welcome to quietly leave. No judgments, but we will stare at you while you're leaving. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you, if you do feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, no judgments at all. You are welcome to leave. But I will be recording because uh, it's a topic that I think it's worth uh, sending out the message to. But for those of you who are here to stay, let's do story time. And as my kids, and I, I move around a lot, so you don't have to feel like you need to turn to, to catch me. I, I look the same way from front and back. As my kids would say, Papa, is this going to start with a once upon a time? And it's not. It's not a once upon a time type story. This story does, though, begin with the story of a boy who came to the U.S. as a refugee, as an immigrant. And as is often the case with people who come in as refugees or immigrants, they've left the lives that they had for one reason or another, and they're back here building it up. And part of that, at least in the U.S., is this idea of the American dream. And part of that American dream has to do with this idea of success. And so it wasn't any different for this particular boy. Very early on, he realized the formula for success. Work hard, at school at least, get good grades. You get recognition, get praise, get some type of affirmation for it, and you rinse and you repeat. You continue to do the same thing. So he did that got good grades, got recognized, and continued to move up. He did well in school. He ended up graduating and went to a pretty well-known university, which I am biased about, of course. But as is often the case at college, you meet some very strange individuals. You meet people who are going to challenge the way that you think. And it wasn't any different for this particular boy. One night, his group of friends were driving. They were going back to their dorms. And they were just having conversations about God knows what, just about everything, as is often the case. When, you, when you're with your friends outside of class, you're, you're talking about just about everything. And so they got on this idea of success. And his friend asked him, how do you define success? And stopped the boy in his tracks. How do I define success? What a weird question, he thought. Because, look, if I were to poll 
just about every single one of you, or if I were to pull, for those of you who may remember from uh, statistics class, you know, the bell curve, I guarantee that where the bell curve is in the middle, the average, most of us would have the very same notions of success. If you were to go on your social media account, whatever it may be, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, even LinkedIn, you play the scrolling game, people give you their definition of success, and it's all very much the same for the most part. So this boy said, well, I define success like anybody else. Do well, get a good job, make money, climb up the corporate ladder, maybe start my own business, have a family, have the car, have the house. What else is there? Travel. But he says, wait, how do you define success? So his friend gives him his response, and his response from his friend baffles him even more than the initial question. Now, what was his response? I'm not going to tell you guys. It's not necessary. It's not important. But we will get into this idea of success. So life goes on. He goes back to his dorm. He does, well, he does exactly what he says he's going to do. Graduates, gets a good job starts making that money, starts moving up the career, starts getting the title, he got the house, he got the cars, he got the family. But one thing he realized that at every interval of his life, every aspect of it, as he was continuing to move up the, the social ranks, so to speak, while he was extremely grateful, he realized that his happiness was ephemeral. It was short-lived. And so it just caused them to want to do more than the average person, to keep being recognized. But he realized that perhaps his friend was onto something. And he kept thinking back to that question, how do you define success? Now that's the end of our story. Let's talk a little bit about who I am. Now I don't know if you, they gave you guys the... Uh, bios for people who are here or if you guys even care to read it. But when they asked me for my bio, my bio is a little bit different. At least I think so. This was my bio that I gave for AKSI. I was a kid with a vision. I went to school and became a CPA. I became energized, so I went into energy, hustled my way into my own business. I thought teaching was cool, so I became a professor. Then I threw law school in the mix and became a power lawyer in big law. I realized life is short, so I, left, so I left a dream job in big law and traded the money for my time back. Now I focus on being a good dad and a husband, growing spiritually, being mindful of my well-being while working to, small, to change my small world one perspective at a time. That's my story. When I, and I went to UVA. I was part of the Alpha Gamma chapter and also an AKSI Academy, Academy fellow. Uh, because at the time when I went to UVA, our chapter wasn't doing so well. And I realized that changes need to happen. And after that year, we ended up changing by a lot. And now the chapter is doing very well. But after UVA, I decided, hey, I'm going to go into business. Haha, <laughs> no, no trick there. And I became a CPA. When I became a CPA, I entered the big four. All right, I was an auditor by trade. And I did that. I just realized something was missing. For any of you who are going into accounting, who CPA or any, thinking about the big four, it's a great field and area to be on. 
It helped me launch my career into other aspects of it, but something was missing. So energy came in the mix. One of my friends called me, and I'll share a little bit more about this. He said, hey, Ramin, you ever thought about working in the government? I said, no. Have you ever thought about energy? Never in my wildest dreams. Like, you don't go to school saying, at least during the time that I was in school, I'm going to go in to do something with energy. Like, what does that even mean? But that's what I did. In the mix, I started my own business. I still have it to this day. It's a tax business. Uh, I enjoy it. I became a professor. I had the opportunity to be able to teach. I taught at GW. And then my dad kept saying, Ramin, I just can see you doing something else. And I'm like, man, this guy really hates CPAs. <laughs> so I said, okay, what can I do? I decided naturally, <laughs> let me go to law school. And when I went to law school, I was working full time and I was going to law school in the evenings because that fit in with my definition of success. Do more and be more than the person sitting next to you. And it's funny because in law school, the very first day, uh, it was a room bigger than this. One of the professors comes in, looks at us. The very first thing he says, as the light is shining bright in my eyes, is look to your left, look to your right. These two are not going to be employed. And it was a rude awakening because we're like, hey, <laughs> we're going to leave with a whole bunch of debt and we're going to be unemployed. That's the way to do it. But sure enough, we stuck it through. And I was fortunate enough that uh, I played my cards right, I did my homework, and I was one of the very few to place into a big law firm, a very well-known firm. Name is not important. But I started big law. And I'll tell you this, around the time that I was in law school, just to kind of give you my definition of success, I was working full-time. I was going to school part-time, which was pretty much full-time. I was running my own business. I was also teaching as a professor. And my wife and I decided, hey, why not? Let's have a kitten. So there's a lot going on, but it fit into that idea, how many balls could I juggle at once to be able to show that, hey, I am a success. But look, this story is not necessarily about me. It's to provide you an example. I think that in life we live by examples. But what do you think happened? What do you think happened with this whole notion and idea of the American dream, the success that came with everything else? I certainly had the money. I certainly had the title. I had plenty of careers. I was a few years away from becoming partner and the trajectory that I was in. Over here, I have a power lawyer. And it doesn't mean because I have vanity that I'm a self-proclaimed power lawyer. I was working in energy, renewables, solar, wind. And if you guys are keeping up with the news, it's not going anywhere. I was at the peak of my career. What do you think I did? And look, this is a brotherhood. We're all friendly. This is a discussion. I would like participation if you're willing to do so. But this, this session is about disruption. So there's no right answer, as, as they always say. You know, sometimes in math, there is, as I will tell my son, one plus one is two, until you get into advanced math and you realize there are differences. But what do you think happened? Yes? Um, did you like change your trajectory again because you didn't feel like fulfilled with what you were doing? Interesting. Did I change my trajectory again? Yeah. What else? What do you think happened? Yes? finally hit a wall and a challenge that you just couldn't face with everything else going on? That's a very interesting take. Did I ch hit a wall? In some respects, I think I did. Yes? Did you feel unhappy? Kind of goes with that idea. Now look, I've told this story to close friends, especially around the time that I was thinking to do these things. 
And they're like, Ramin, are you just not being grateful for the things that a lot of people, when they look at your life, you've been able to do some of the things that, not, that people would dream of. And again, it's not to self-boast. I don't believe in boasting. But it's just that people were asking me, what are you doing? Are you hitting a, a midlife crisis? Are you getting to a point where, you know, as much as I would like to think that I'm young, I know I'm getting older. But what happened was this idea of the great resignation and the big quit. I retired. Now, I've heard it all. People are like, Ramin, you're, you're taking a sabbatical. You're taking some time off. You're going to get back into it. Well, guys, it's, uh, it's almost been nine months, and I'm still retired. I don't plan on going back. Who can tell me about the great resignation and the big quit? And I, There's a reason why I'm asking about this. Who knows about the great resignation and the big quit? Yes. Um, from what I understand, the great resignation would happen, at least from my understanding, yeah. in the accounting profession where a lot of people were, when COVID hit and everything, they were realizing, like, oh, I'm missing out on all this time with my kids, with my family. It, it made them spend more time at home. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed that, and they were like, oh, there is more to life than just climbing the corporate ladder. Okay, very good. What else? Great resignation and big... You guys have heard of it, right? It was... No, you haven't? Then that's fine. It's this trend, this movement that's been coming up, and COVID was a big, uh, uh, big stimulus for it, so to speak. When I decided to retire, the b- great resignation and the big quit hadn't formally come out. For me, it was because I was tackling with this idea of how am I going to define success? And that's why I put... This is not your grandparents' retirement. Because when people are like, well, Ramin, do you just sit on your butt all day and just like not do anything? No, I'm a very active person. I started my own podcast. I have my own business. But I started to shift what I was investing in. And we'll go into that in a little bit. But the great resignation and big quit, as Ariana Huffington put it, it's really the great revaluation. People said stop. What is truly going on in my life? Is what I'm doing where I want to be? Or do I need to start making changes? Non-traditional career trajectories. I think that's why maybe a lot of you are here. I don't know. Maybe the, the title of it was very catchy. Maybe it was one of those clickbait type things, the challenge to redefine success. Who does this guy think he is? But it has to do about non-traditional career trajectories. And I've had a non-traditional career trajectory. Yes, I've done traditional careers. I was a CPA in Big Four. I, I still have my CPA. I'm a lawyer now, professor, whatever, whatever. But with non-traditional career trajectories, and I imagine the vast majority of you are uh, in college, maybe second or third year, uh, sophomores, juniors, okay? I still have the UVA lingo of second and third year or sophomore and juniors. But look, first thing that I need you guys to at least keep in mind, the idea of opening the mind and shifting perspectives. This is where I go into once upon a time. Once upon a time, the career trajectory was like this. Straight line. Until you hit a wall. But most people worked 30, 40 years at a career. They climbed up the corporate ladder which was fine. They got a pension at the end of it, and that was done. But what happened? Around the time that I was starting my career, there was this generational divide, and it started with millennials and moved on out. What most of the boomers were concerned with was these younger generations, they're not going to go in the straight line anymore. They're going to start moving around. 
It's no longer linear. They're going to shift from one place to another, and it caused a sense of anxiousness. Because now the workforce was also starting to change because a lot of us decided, hey, we are going to start to do some things differently. So around the time when, for example, I was in Big Four, I just looked around, and for me, I did not see people, and this was just a very biased perspective. I did not see people that were very happy, especially busy season when busy season spewed out into the entire year. I just realized for me, I was like, I got to make a change. I can't keep doing this. And it's funny because when you're ready to make a change and you put your intention out there, the biggest thing is making that intention. The right people are going to come in your life. One of my friends calls me up. He says, hey, Ramin, how are you doing? And he was working in Big Four with me, too, on the IT side. I said, yeah, things are going well. Could be better. He's like, hey, I'm working at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the FERC. Have you ever thought about working in government? This is where that aspect of my story comes in, to give you guys an example. And I said, you know, I haven't, but I, I'm open to it. And he said, what about energy? Never in my wildest dreams, like I said, would I have thought that I would go into some aspect of energy. It wasn't a career path that I was thinking about. But I said, you know what? I'm ready to make a change, man. Get me in touch with whoever I need to speak with. Let's see if we can get the balls in motion. And I was still working as a CPA, as an auditor, but I made that shift. Now, a lot of people were saying, Ramin, again, at that point in time, you should work five years in Big Four because then you can become a manager and you can get your worth. In my mind, I'm like, so the firm can get a return on its equity for having me as an associate during the summer. I don't think so. But I decided, you know what? It's a gamble I'm willing to take because it fit in with the idea that I'm not necessarily married to this particular career trajectory. Now, who can tell me what this is? And it's not a trick question, guys. What's, what's this? A water bottle. A water bottle. Thank you. It is. Now, my next question was going to be what's in it, but you're like two steps ahead of me. I think it's water. There's a delicious beverage in here, which if you don't mind, I'm going to remove my mask. Still good. There's a reason why I'm asking you this. There is, in fact, water in here. I'm a big fan of Batman, and then there's some Arabic writing in the background because my sister put something in there that's been washed out. What is this? It's my kid's lunch container. There's nothing in here. Now, if I were to ask you, again, these, this is not a trick question, guys. There's a reason why I'm doing this. What's going to happen when I pour the contents of this beverage, which is water, into this container? It's going to take its shape. That's exactly what I did. Nothing fancy about this. Now, why am I doing this? Why am I telling you this? You know, one thing I've learned as a, when I was teaching, the best way to teach are through stories and through examples and demonstrations. This will stay in your mind, even if you think it's stupid. Water is fluid. It does take the shape of the container that it's in. When you are looking at your careers, whether you want to say, Ramin, I'm going to be a traditional career person and just do things the way that it's always been, that's fine, no judgments. But I think that the vast majority of you are not going to do it that way. And part of that has to do with you need to be fluid. You need to be ready to make changes. You need to be ready to do something that perhaps you thought that you weren't going to do. Now you're thinking, well, I mean, that's what you've done. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be what I am going to do. Probably. 
But even if it's not your career and your personal life too, there are going to be changes where you are going to have to be fluid, where you are going to have to change. It doesn't mean that you compromise morals, values, or things that are important for you. Not at all. But it does mean that you have to look at it from the perspective that perhaps maybe I need to see things for what they can be. Now, when I was making that shift into energy, I had no idea that it was going to lead me to become a power lawyer, to go into law school, and then from there to essentially work on renewables, cross-border transactions, all of that. But in life, you have to see things for what they can be and also for what they're not, which comes with the idea of being honest with yourselves in the course of your career and also your personal life. Because I think a lot of us too often, we're not honest with ourselves. And at the end of it, the only person that it ends up hurting is not going to be your social media account as far as your followers, your influencers, if that's even important. It's not going to impact your friends. It's not going to impact your family, or perhaps it won't. It's going to impact you and where you're at. So you have to see things for what they can be. And so what does that mean? When to say yes and when to say no. Everybody here, I think, has driven at least once or twice. And on the road, we see signs. You see a stop sign, you see hazard, whatever type of sign there may be. And often we'll pay attention to it. You know, sometimes you'll do a California roll on a stoplight and hopefully there's no cop or anything behind you. And I'll tell you this, even as a lawyer, and I do transactional work, but I've also been in court numerous times. When a cop pulls me over, you kind of get in that mode like, ah, what did I just do? How do I get out of this? But the signs are there for a reason. And we as human beings, each and every single one of us, I don't like this in the way, but I'm just going to move. We have this ability, thank you, that there's an inner voice that whispers things to us. But what have we learned to do? We've learned to silence the whispers. It's called intuition. It's called the universe, whatever you want to call it. We as human beings have learned to quiet that voice because... It's stupid. It, it doesn't make sense. Well, what is it telling me? But there are plenty of signs around you. Now, for me, this decision to leave everything that I had worked so hard for did not happen overnight. I had been struggling with the idea and notion of success and achieving success for some time. If my wife were here, she could tell you numerous nights we talked about what do I want to do? Do I really want to leave big law? Do I really want to, you know, make it seem like I gave up? Am I throwing in the towel? But then I started to be honest with myself because I realized for the longest time there were these signs where I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing or I wasn't uh, reaching what I thought would be considered my potential. So we do have signs in front of us. We just have to start listening. It was when I started to start listening to it when I realized that, you know what? certain changes need to happen. So in your own lives, there's going to be plenty of signs. Something's not going to feel right. Someone's going to rub you the wrong way. And I'll talk a little bit about corporate culture too for, for work purposes and even amongst uh, friends and family. But there are going to be situations where it's just going to feel weird. And look, you should be out of your comfort zone to a certain extent. That's when there's pressure on us, we grow. But not to your detriment. You have to learn to listen to the signs. Be eager and looking out for yourselves. Now, when, uh, when I 
graduated and I started working, I think about one or two years out, I came back to Alpha Gamma and I did a presentation for them. And the presentation was the real truth about corporate America, what the recruiters and career services don't want you to know. Because look, the vast majority of the times we're told to be a team player and you should be. You should be to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, the companies that you work for, and look, I'm not a hater for these companies. They're doing, a lot of them are doing great things. At the end of the day, when push comes to shove, you're just another person, another number, and they will find a way to replace you. It's, for those of you who have taken some type of corporate law, it's sometimes the fiduciary responsibility of those at the top to find value for their shareholders. And you, while you may think that you're valuable, and I think that you're valuable, I think everybody plays an important role in whatever aspect of structure that you are in. Companies at the end have to make tough decisions. And it's not that they're being facetious. It's not that they're being uh, ill will. It's part of their corporate responsibility too. So you have to look out for yourself. Now there are a lot of companies that do look out for their employees and they will put out measures. One of those, for example, when I became a dad, this idea of paternity leave. And it's funny because right when I started Big Law, and I was a first year associate, and I was eager, I wanted to do things, but I also had our second child on the way. So what do I do? Do I make a bad impression, or what I thought was a bad impression, and tell them, hey, I've been working here for like two weeks, but I need to take three months off of paternity leave, or whatever it was at that time, which wasn't three months. But one of the things that I did in looking out for myself when I was interviewing at the various firms, I looked at the people at the very top. And in this particular firm that I was in, that I was interviewing, the CEO's story fascinated me. She was a woman, she is a woman, who was chairperson. And in, in big law, there's very far and few in between for women to be at the very top. So I looked into her story and that intrigued me even more. She was working at the firm, she ended up having kids, she took time off, she came back, she moved up. I'm sure it wasn't easy, especially at that time. And she became chairperson. For me, the reason why that was important in terms of me looking out for myself, because it made me realize that you have someone, I'm not saying that dads or father figures or males or however you wanna look at parent figures would not do the same. But for me, her story intrigued me because I realized in the course of interviewing that that was a priority for the firm. And so for me, I realized that, hey, I'm thinking about having other kids too, this would fit in line. But you have to learn to look out for yourself because at the end of the day, nobody else will. I've interviewed a lot, okay? I've interviewed a lot and I mean when I was on the other side and I was interviewing somebody. How many of you here have gotten the question if you have interviewed for whatever aspect that may be, what do you wanna do? That's a common question that they ask at interviews, and it's a question that bugs me. Because look, a lot of us don't know what we wanna do. We go into school, we're, we're immediately we're told, hey, think of what you wanna do within two years, you need to kind of figure out what you wanna get your bachelor's in or your master's. And look, when I interview, I, I ask that question too. I'd say, hey, what do you wanna do? But I would say, look, it's not a question where I'm trying to get you. I understand that perhaps maybe you don't know what you wanna do. 
at my age right now, I'm still figuring life out. And I've had more than one career. But it's a question that is almost asked. And so you have to do this at every interval of your career. At the end of it is you have to learn to set boundaries. Now, during the course of those interviews, this idea and notion of setting boundaries would come up. And they would look at me like, Ramin, you're a couple of years in. Why are you telling me as a first-year associate to set boundaries? And this is why. The people who you're working for, I guarantee it because I did it at every interval of my career. No shame into it. I set boundaries for the things that were important for me. I told them, look, Fridays, and for those of you who may or may not have uh, listened to my podcast, my faith is very important for me. The very first thing that I do at any particular interview, I say, look, Fridays, I got to go to prayer. I go to congregation service. And the reason why I would ask it at the interview, and of course, by law, they're not supposed to say that you can't, but you can get an idea for the feeling. But I would ask them a very uncomfortable question, maybe. Look, Fridays, I, go, I need to go to Friday prayer. I'll, of course, make up my work, but is that going to be anything that I need to know about? I learned to set boundaries early on because at the end of it, if something happens and they've crossed those boundaries and you haven't told them what the boundaries are, well, they didn't know about it. You can't say, well, this was important for me. They're going to say, I didn't know. Two, I promise you, people are going to respect you, especially the people that you're working for. And even in your own lives, we've all had those friends or family members where, you know, they kind of get into our circle. They get into the uncomfortable zones that we don't want them to keep crossing. Setting boundaries is not anything bad to be looked at, but it's important because you tell them, hey, this is important. We're going to be talking about value systems in a little bit when we talk about navigating the unorthodox way. Test the waters before you get in. Look, a lot of times you have opportunities to, uh, to kind of test a career out. There's internships, there's summer associate programs, whatever the case may be. These are perfect opportunities for you to test the waters. Now, when I was in, I'm trying to think when it was, it might have been at the tail end of my of high school, mind you. So this is very early on. One of the opportunities I had was this, uh, this very nice guy. He was an accountant. He worked for the Department of Defense. And I, I don't know how we connected, but through career services or whatever they were doing, we were able to, I was able to do a shadowing. Who in here has been to any of the Department of Defense uh, locations? Pentagon or, yeah. Uh, are there windows? Okay, and that's not the reason why I'm saying this. It's not. You feel like you're going through a maze, and it's, it's done like that for a reason. I had no idea where I was. God forbid if emergency happened, it's a good thing my, uh, the guy I was there to shadow was there. I would have no idea where to go, and plus they locked the door, so it doesn't make a difference. But anyway, we were interviewing, and he was telling me about his, his, uh, his job, and I realized that not only, and I felt really bad about this, not only did I zone out, I fell asleep. I fell asleep because I remember waking up and he's still talking. But I'm like, there's like two minutes, three minutes of it that I had no idea what was said or what was done. Unfortunately, I guess he was like really into what he was doing, which is great. He had found his passion, but I fell asleep. I was like, I, I don't know if this is for me at least working in the type of thing that he was doing. The other aspect of it was, so when I came into Big Law and I interviewed and fortunately I wowed the hiring partner because I was able to read out what the uh, firm's mission statement was. And I guess nobody else had done it because after that the hiring partner just stopped. 
And he said, Ramin, nobody has told me our mission statement and be able to tie it in with how you can add value. Right there, I knew that I had the, the summer associate position in the bag. But he looks at me and he says, look, you have experience in corporate and regulatory and transactional energy. What do you want to do? And of course, I gave him an answer at that point in time. But one of the things that I did was I paid attention to people working at the firm. I listened, I asked questions, and I observed. And one of the things I realized was the corporate group had a high turnover rate. They had a high burnout rate. And I told myself, if I were to go into the corporate route, as far as corporate law, that's probably going to be me. So I stayed away from it. Now, I didn't tell them, hey, I don't want to do corporate because I'm afraid of burnout. I said, hey, look, I think I want to do something more related to transactional energy. Was I lying? No. I was being honest with myself, and what I was telling them was the truth. I wanted to do energy-related work. I didn't want to do corporate. But you have to test the waters before you begin with anything that you're doing, whether it's your personal or your professional life, because there will be opportunities where you can ask questions. For those of you, where are you guys at in the interviewing process? I imagine juniors, you guys will be interviewing come this summer for associate positions or summer associate positions if that's the route you're taking. How many of you have done any interviews? All right. How many of you have reached out to career services to find alumni that works at a particular firm but perhaps you haven't interviewed with? It's a good strategy, and here's why. You say, hey, look, I'm so-and-so, and of course, during this time, it's a little bit difficult, Zoom meetings and whatnot, but hey, can I pick your brain for a little bit? And most people, look, if somebody were to reach out to me, and I know they went to a particular school, or they worked or through some other colleague, I'm more than happy to help them out. It, those are the opportunities where you can test the waters to kind of figure out, hey, what's really the culture of a particular firm like? Because look, you can have the best profession, the best job, the best title, but if the environment that you're working in sucks, your life is not gonna be great. And I've had opportunities where I've been in, and I say it's an opportunity because it's a learning experience, where I've been with groups where I have cringed at the thought and idea of working another day at that particular firm, to groups where they've looked out for my best interests and we've been a working team, and it makes a world of a difference. That's why when people often ask me if they're thinking about going to law school, hey, Ramin, you know, I'm, working, I'm interviewing at this particular AmLaw top firm. What do you think about it? And I said, well, the firm has a great reputation, but do you know what's going on with the culture? They're like, well, why is that important? And I tell them, every day that you go into work, yeah, you're gonna be going to this well-named or whatever type of firm that you are, but every day you're gonna be working with a group of people. And if those people are not a good fit for you, or perhaps you're not a good fit for them, it's going to be the difference between night and day. It's going to make a big difference. So when do you decide to become this unorthodox life navigator? Is it a catchphrase? And I'll tell you this. There are a lot of people who decide at the very forefront, I'm going to take a very non-traditional approach. I didn't. I decided I'm going to go into business school because I can get a job, I can start earning money, and I can start moving toward that definition of success. But 
One of the things that's going to happen is you are going to need some type of experience. You're going to need some experience with whatever you're doing. Of course, you can go into something without experience and you'll learn a lot of valuable lessons, but eventually you'll get to a point where you ask this hard question, the why. For right now, I want you to think about, think about somebody who's either famous, think about somebody who, uh, in your view or mind, has done something great, could be an inventor, could be a writer, could be uh, you know, someone who has, is in sports. And even if it's somebody that's passed away, what was it about him or her that caused them to be quote unquote great in whatever they did? What do you think? What do you think that they asked themselves? Why? What is my purpose? What is my intention? Why am I doing this? And I think with the great resignation and the big quit, a lot of people were asking themselves the hard question, the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Do I want to continue it? And that feeds into this creation of a value system. So with me, I told you all at the very beginning, my idea of success was what I thought everybody else wanted. You know, you want to get the, the title, you want to get the career, you want to make the money. And at a certain point in time, all of that was coming in. The money was just rolling in. The, the bonuses that big law lawyers make, it's often the average salary of a person in the U.S. It's a lot of money, and it's, it's hard to get away from it. And so I thought initially that was my value system. And look, I'm not here to say to anybody that if money is important for you, wealth, fame, any of that stuff, that, that you're a bad person. Not at all. I think for each person, it goes back to what is your why. And nobody can judge another person for what their why is because each person is going to have their own value system. But for me, I realized that my value system was starting to change. A value system is like the solar system. Whatever is in the center, i.e., in this case, it would be the sun, there's other things that go in and out of orbit. Your value system needs to be intact. It needs to stay, and it's going to take time for it to form, but it needs to stay in place while everything in your life is shifting, and it will. So what became my value system? I realized that as much as I was providing for my kids, that's the, the excuse I gave myself for working as much as I did. It's, there's nothing wrong with hard work. Hard work got me to where I am. But I kept telling myself, well, I'm providing my kids X, Y, and Z. But you know what was the most expensive thing that I could not give them? Who could take a guess? Time. Time was my most valuable asset. And I realized I couldn't give that to them. That was the thing I could not afford. And so for me, I realized that at the very fore, as much as I, I told myself otherwise, my family played a big role in terms of my life. Now, this is a little bit personal, but with me growing up, my dad was in between two places. He was back home trying to create a life for us while we were here, and he would come uh, to visit. And for me, for the longest time, I was like, my dad was not present. And it took for me to be a father to realize that he was doing the best that he could with the limitations that were in front of him. And I realized that in some respects, I'm kind of repeating the same thing. I'm not giving my kids the, the one thing that most of them want, which is time. So family was one of my value systems. The other aspect of it was well-being. 
Now, what do I, well-being has become often the smokescreen for recruiters. We got this well-being program, and look, a lot of firms are really trying hard, but if you were to ask me, I think a lot of them are behind. And what I mean by well-being is not only mental, I'm talking about physical well-being. Exercising was a particular uh, point or thing that I did when I needed, when I was stressed. I work out for my mental well-being. I do a lot of things on the mental well-being side. Even when I was working at the firms, there was a lot of initiatives that I helped to bring forward because at that point in time, it wasn't where it is right now, where we started to make strides in well-being. But I realized my physical and mental well-being was extremely important. And then the last part of my value system was my faith. My faith centered around every other aspect of my life. But I realized that there started to be dings. Now, what do I mean by dings? When you create a value system, whatever it may be, you have to monitor it. And those are the moments where ding, 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 certain things happen that goes against the value system. And so you try to recalibrate. You try to redo something, whatever it may be. Now, like I told you, my decision to do what I did did not happen overnight. It happened gradually because every time that there was a ding, I decided I needed to change some aspect of my life. But when you create a value system, you have to pay attention to what is going on, where you're at, and how is it being impact, impacted. But once you've created your value system and you decide, hey, I want to try to do things the non-traditional way, what are ways that you can ultimately use your professional skills for passion projects? The first thing you have to ask yourself, what do you know? What value are you bringing in? And I guarantee every single one of you in this room, and I'm not just saying it, there's something that you're good at. Something deep down inside, you know you want to do. I had the notion and idea for the longest time, but what got in my way? Fear. Fear of doing something. But you have to ask yourself, what do you know? What is your knowledge base? And how can you use that for passion projects? Anyone here have a passion project that maybe they thought about or wanted to do or uh, are doing it right now? Outside of career, outside of your profession. Yes? Um, it's something I'm thinking about kind of going through the semester, but I really want to start a blog, um, start a website, and kind of really like writing and kind of like academics. Yeah. That's great. Anybody else? We have somebody that wants to create a blog, to be able to write. And I think that's what it really gets at, is this, this passion for writing that you don't currently have right now. Anybody else want to share? Passion projects. And maybe right now you're not sure what, a pa what your passion project is. But there's going to get a point in time where you're going to realize, hey, I want to do something, and it may not necessarily be I'm going to leave my job for it. Maybe it might that you realize, hey, I want to do something with the skill set that I've learned on a professional setting and take it to another level. It could be related to, for example, most people are like, I want to start my own nonprofit NGO, great. You know, could be something related to I want to write. It could be you know, something related to I never thought I would have a podcast, but why am I doing it? I need an outlet to talk. That's what it comes down to. I want to be able to talk about stuff. My wife, so she for the longest time wanted to become a journalist. She went to Boulder, studied journalism, then went to Mason, for those of you who are familiar with the uh, Northern Virginia area. And finally, she got the opportunity to interview with ABC7. 
and she's like, all right, let's get the ball rolling. And she, she's great on camera. And I'm biased, of course, because I love her and I think she's beautiful. But she was great on camera. And she did it for a period of time and she realized, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's a common theme. I don't want to do this. But she had to be able to try it out to be able to do it. She did not find value in just reading scripts. So reached a point where she's like, I don't know where I want to go. But she, for those of you who know the D.C. area, there's a building called the Institute of Peace. For the longest time, there was something in her that wanted her to, she just saw herself being over there. So she cold called them, the audacity to cold call a company. And that's exactly what she did. She got on the phone with someone, said, hey, look, I'm looking to work here. This is what I can provide. And she got a job. And she did that for a period of time, and she loved it. But then we had our second child, and we were at the crossroads as far as do you stay home or do you work? And I said, look, at the end, it's your decision what you want to do. This is the choice you're going to make. I'll give you my two cents, but I can't make that decision for you. You have to decide. And she interviewed and talked with a lot of people. And it's interesting, she spoke with the granddaughter of Walt Disney because she came into the Institute of Peace. And she asked, said, look, you know, I'm kind of in a dilemma. I'm trying to think about what to do. What do you think? And the granddaughter of Walt Disney, mind you. And I'm not saying that you have to do this. I'm just sharing a story as far as what happened. They have money. They have prestige. They have wealth. She said, you know, I did the exact same thing. I took time off to be there with my kid. Now, for me, I'm a male. I don't know what women go through with pregnancy or if that's even, you know, uh, and whoever's right or want to do that. But one thing I've realized is as a dad, as a parent, Dads are also trying to be there for the kids. And we're also faced with a dilemma as far as what do we do with our careers? What do we do with X, Y, and Z? But there are opportunities for you to take what you've learned if you decide, hey, I want to change my trajectory to be able to use it. Because a lot of you, not only at school, in your social lives, and even when you do start working, you're going to pick up unique skill sets. And those unique skill sets can be used to help other segments. But you have to ask yourself, what am I passionate about? And you also have to be honest with yourself as far as what knowledge do I need? This whole idea, and we're going to go into the need and spheres of influence, who's heard of fake it till you make it? I don't like it. And here's why. People can see through your bullshit. I worked with one partner, and his whole idea was fake it till you make it. But why? Why do you need to do that? Every single one of us has knowledge. We have certain skill sets. It may not be everything, but you just need to build your craft, practice, make mistakes. You'll get to where you need to be, but you have to figure out where is your fit. Find your fit. Where do you belong in all of this? And part of that is this idea of social spheres of influence. Now, my wife, after Institute of Peace was done, she stayed. What does she end up ultimately doing? She's a social media influencer. She has 120,000 followers. I have 2,000 followers, and I'm grateful for them. But the reason why I bring that up is every single one of us has a sphere of influence. Your friends, school, your work, family. Even on social media, there are people that perhaps are following you that you don't know about, but you have a sphere of influence. And it's not about the numbers. It's more of how much of an impact can you make into that sphere of influence. 
Now, at the very beginning, I mentioned this idea of, of shifting perspectives. And when I read my bio, I told you that my goal, even in this room, if I can shift one person's perspective in whichever way that's going to benefit them, this was all worth it. I did what I needed to do. So you have to figure out what is your social sphere of influence, and from there, you start building. But the most important thing is consistency and taking incremental steps because nothing happens overnight. The last few things, because we're getting at the end of our session, I want to tell you all, is the importance of learning from life lessons. What I mean by that is you have to stop and reflect at every single segment of your life, even right now. You have to stop and ask yourself, what's working for me? What's not? What changes do I need to make? Build a habit of it because otherwise, you're just going to be sleeping through life. You'll be doing things great. You'll be becoming a success in whatever way you define it, but you may be sleeping through it. So you have to stop and ask yourself, what am I doing? Use your value system. Whatever it is, build a value system and let that be your compass to make decisions. I can tell you it has not steered me wrong. The best decision that I made was making the changes that I did, which at that point in time was a huge risk. I was no longer going to bring in the money that I had. The title was gone. The prestige. I'm still barred. I'm barred in California, Virginia, D.C., Texas is pending. I'm still a lawyer. I'm just doing it in a different manner. I'm going to things that is going to help me with my passion project, which at the end of it, I look at myself as an educator. And finally, you have to understand everything is temporary. We may think that everything is long-lived and it's going to last forever. It's not. I promise you that. You're going to have a lot. And it's not anything in a bad way that I'm saying this. It's just life is temporary. We're here and one day we're not. But in between those times, you have to understand that with that temporariness comes a sense of power. And that sense of power is you being able to make a choice a decision in terms of where you want to go and not necessarily what society is dictating for you. The last thing that I'll leave you guys, and I, 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 this quote, and it's not here, but this is just in case anybody wants to look at my unlawyerly with Rami, and it's kind of my way to plug myself in. But the one quote that I will leave you guys with, and this is a quote that when I was a uh, senior in high school, and I'm 37 years old, so I've, I've lived a life up to this point, and I've got hopefully a long ways to go. The one quote that has always stayed with me is this. Here's to the crazy ones, the rebels, the round heads and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the one thing that you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some of us may see them as the crazy, crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. One perspective at a time. That's been my time. I really do appreciate your patience. Hopefully you guys got something out of it. I'll stay here in case anybody has any questions. But that's the end of the challenge to redefine success. And I do hope that most of you, if not all of you, find ways to challenge the traditional value and uh, idea of success. Thank you. Talk next time. As always, I appreciate you and thank you for listening to Unlawyerly. My name is Rameen Mohammed. You can catch me on Instagram at Unlawyerly with Rameen, unlawyerly.com on our website. Of course, please feel free to subscribe to our YouTube.
That's it for today. My name is Ramin again, and it's been Unlawyerly. Thank you.